So, anyway, you knew it. Anyway, yeah. Now, some of you um, who've been here for a little while in Grand Prairie and area, you, you'll remember a sign. Um, it was a Wendy's sign that said, Coming Soon. It was right across from the winner's um, store, across from Costco. You guys remember that? And there was, yeah, so there's empty lot, you know, Wendy's restaurant coming soon. Uh, and this was a few years ago. So I thought, cool, new, new Wendy's is coming into town. But then the months went by. And then, I'm quite right on this, the years went by. And there was absolutely no movement on the ground. There was not even a hole dug in the ground. Yeah. Coming soon was not very soon to Grand Prairie. Then, of course, there was the Grand Prairie Hospital. I don't remember the dates when it was supposed to open. Someone probably knows here. But all of us, of course, were hoping for the hospital years ago. And, of course, you know, the delays kept piling up, and it got a little political. And we wondered if we would ever get the new hospital. And then one day I was... um, scrolling through Facebook, and I saw the most hilarious, I thought it was funny, post. And uh, they had a picture of the Wendy sign and the hospital together, and it says, take a vote. Who do you think will open first? <laughs> the Wendy's restaurant or the Grand Prairie Hospital? You, anyone remember that? Someone? Yeah, a few of you remember that. All oh, the joys of waiting, right? Waiting for stuff to open. And we've been talking about waiting for the second coming of Jesus. And even though we don't know when he's coming back. You know, sometimes when we talk about waiting for Jesus, when we talk about the end times, it conjures up images of dropping everything and and gazing out the window with binoculars and maybe having our calculator out, trying to figure out, you know, calculating and recalculating the dates and times of Jesus' possible return. But being ready for Jesus, being prepared for Jesus, is not about being holed up in bunkers with canned food and bottled water, hiding in fear for the next world disaster. Neither is it simply living busy lives with no regard for Jesus' coming at all. No. In fact, we as God's people are privileged and called to represent God on earth by using our many different responsibility. And yes, um, this is really the same theme as we talked about last Sunday on the bridegroom and the bridesmaids. Keeping the torches lit, so to speak, means we are embracing our God-given calling of responsibilities on earth. And that's also a kind of waiting, a kind of preparing for the coming of Jesus. So the parable of the talents is what I want to talk about today, or as the NIV has changed it to, the parable of the bags of gold. Just like the bridesmaid's parable, it is also about being ready for Jesus. But the parable of the bags of gold, or talents, takes us a little bit deeper. So if you want to follow with me, this is Matthew chapter 25, uh, 14 to 30. 
Um, I'm not going to read the parable, but I will retell it to you and explain a few things as we go and then talk about some key points. So Jesus is speaking again about the kingdom of God. And uh, he said that it's kind of like a landowner or a master. And he goes out on a journey. In Jesus' day, uh, it is well known that wealthy landowners, um, they would entrust their property to trustworthy servants when they went out on a long journey or some kind of personal journey. So this was just something that was practice. So before he left, he called his servants and he entrusted to each of his servants a portion of his property. To one servant, he gave five bags of gold. To another servant, he gave two bags of gold, and to another servant, he gave one bag of gold. And so in verse 15, it says, each, to each one according to his own ability. Now, this is an important, important statement that we'll talk about just a bit later. So each of us are valuable to God in his kingdom. But that doesn't mean... We are equal in the sense that we are all given the same responsibilities. Now, I should, I should also point out that the word talent um, is not referring necessarily to a natural ability or skill. That would be our normal translation, but that's probably why the NIV changed it to the bags of gold. Um, because really, in the ancient days, a talent was a monetary unit. So that's simply what they're talking about. So, in the New Testament times, a talent um, was a monetary unit, and it was worth about 6,000 drachma, which was equivalent to 20 years uh, of wages for the common laborer. So, you know, if we convert this into our dollars, um, if a laborer earned $15 an hour, which would be our minimum wage today, uh, I think, at 2,000 hours per year, or 20, over 20 years, this would equal about $600,000, okay? So that's roughly kind of what a talent is. So one talent was, had significant value. That's a truckload of money. And so it's called a bag of gold in the NIV. But of course, we need to understand that Jesus is telling a story where the bags of gold, or the talent, is a symbol, Okay, so it's not necessarily about actual money. It could be, but it symbolizes all that God gives us, which does include money, but it includes everything else that God gives us. All the skills, all our natural abilities, our personality, absolutely everything that God entrusts to us on this earth as we serve him. So while the master was away, the servant with five bags of gold or that would be about $3 million, um, he was very industrious. And he traded his money in business investment and doubled his owner's money. Uh, recognize that this is all the owner's stuff, all the owner's money. Then the servant who was given two bags of gold was also industrious and responsible, and he doubled his owner's property as well. But then the servant who was responsible and given the one bag of the owner's money, one bag of gold, what did he do? He did something strange. He dug a hole in the ground and he hid his master's money. He may not have dug a bunker, but the idea is similar. He just sat on it. 
So when the day came and the master came back, each servant had to give an account of his investments, settle accounts for with each of the men. The servant with the five bags of gold came to the master with another five bags of gold. And he said, Master, you entrusted me with these five bags of gold, and see, I have gained five more. The master was absolutely delighted and said, Well done, good and faithful. That's a key word in this parable. Faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come share in your master's happiness. That's verses 19 to 21. In the same way, the servant who, gave, who was given two bags of gold came to the master with two more bags of gold. He said the same thing. Master, you entrusted me with me two bags of gold. I have gained two more in this master affirmed him and said, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Then the last servant, who was given that one bag of gold, came to his master. But his behavior and attitude was dramatically different from the other two. He said, master, I knew you to be a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. Now, before we look at the master's reply to the servant with one bag of gold, let me try to make sense of the parable up to this point. So first of all, we learn that God is the master and owner of everything, even all that he gives us. Our master is, of course, Jesus Christ, and he is the king of his kingdom. And just as the master went away on a journey after Jesus' resurrection from his death, he ascended back into heaven. And just as the master returned at an unknown date to his servants, Jesus will return to earth sometime in the future at some unexpected time. Secondly, we are all called to be God's servants and his stewards. A, a, a servant that is a steward. What is a steward? Well, a steward is someone who manages and protects everything that God has entrusted to us. Remember, a parable contains metaphors and symbols, and Jesus isn't necessarily talking about economics or a good business transaction because, you know, all of us aren't business people, right? We don't run the stock market or invest in things like that. But it could include that. It could include your business, um, if that is your world. But, of course, it's much more than that. The parable is simply using business economics of that day to help us understand our calling to be faithful stewards of everything that God has given to us, realizing that it really all belongs to God. And he entrusts us to invest it. Then thirdly, God entrusts to us different levels of responsibility. We are given different responsibilities based on what God gives you and your ability. This includes our work, um, money, abilities, etc. The whole lot. 
Now, of course, you notice that these three different servants receive three different levels of responsibility, you could say. But there is no sense of one being greater than the other or one being inferior to the other. So we can't make sure we don't read it that way. It's just different responsibilities. Verse 15 says, each according to his ability. God gives us responsibilities according to our God-given abilities, and that is what we are responsible for. Okay? And we are responsible for that in light of the coming of Jesus. He will return again. Now, in this parable, most of the attention, most of the words, is placed on the servant with the one bag of gold. Most of the time is spent on that. And this servant simply returns the bag of gold to his master. Sadly, he sat on his money. In fact, he buried the owner's gold, thinking that this is the safe thing to do, uh, providing he remembers where, he, of course, he buried the treasure, which could have been an issue back in those days. Burying treasure was actually not all that uncommon in that world because, of course, they didn't have brick-and-mortar banks as such, and so it was actually quite common to bury your treasure. So you don't want people to steal it because usually they had coinage of some kind, right? Sometimes owners went off to war and didn't come back because they died in battle, and perhaps this servant was hoping that his master would never return, he would die, and then he gets to keep the bag of gold himself because only he knew where the bag of gold was. That might lay in the background of this story. But on closer inspection, we learn that this servant has a really warped view of God. Remember what he said to his master? These are strange words. This is uh, verses 24 to 25. I knew you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid the gold in the ground. So here's what belongs to you. Uh, This is interesting. Since the master represents God in this parable, it's about those who view God as stern and mean and hard. The one bag servant looks at the problems of the world. He looks at his own personal problems as evidence That God is just one mean God. That he doesn't care. The expression, having, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed is basically a statement of accusation against the master for exploiting workers. He accuses God of sending them out to the harvest or to harvest where seeds were not even sown. In other words, you're expecting us to harvest where nothing was sown in the first place, right? That's giving you just this evil picture of their master. Uh, you, of course, remember the story of Pharaoh and the great exodus. Remember how Pharaoh made the Israelites make bricks without any straw, right? So this is kind of this image of this, having an image of a God who is kind of like Pharaoh. And so this last one bag of gold servant Basically, it's a picture of someone who actually hates his master. He hates God. He resents him and thus refuses to work for him faithfully and joyfully after all that God has given 
he resents him. And so he actually turns on his master, bearing the master's gold, maybe hoping that he would just die and he'll keep the money for himself. Now, to my sensitive souls, please understand, this is not a picture of a servant who loves the Lord faithfully, serves God, but makes a few sinful blunders on the way. This is not about that. Not at all. Rather, this is a picture of someone who does not have a genuine relationship with God, even though God has given them so much. So who does this one-bag servant represent, really? Well, this servant originally represents the resentful Pharisees whom Jesus encountered as he loved sinners. It makes the most sense. Now remember, Israel were called to be God's representatives in his kingdom, to be a light to the nations. God gave them the gift of the law and the gift of the temple, which represented God's presence with them. But they buried God's gifts to them so deep that people could not access the truth. What did the Pharisees do? What were they known for? The scribes and the Pharisees were known as teachers of the law, but they laid heavy burdens on people, right? And so, in a sense, God's true word and his presence was inaccessible because they buried the law and the truth of God's presence. And so they, the Pharisees, resented Jesus because he would spend time with sinners of the day, tax collectors and prostitutes and other known rejects of the day, and they hated Jesus for it. So I think this last one-bag servant is really recalling the Pharisees and their absolute hatred for Jesus. So when we understand this, we understand Jesus' harsh words a little bit better in this parable. And this is what the master said to the one-bag servant. This is 26 to the end of the parable. I'll read it for you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant, so you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well then, You should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that I would return, when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has been given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw the worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So why did Jesus tell this parable? Well, it actually comes at a heart of concern. Even for the Pharisees. You have to look at the bigger story. We know this because after this parable, the story is all about Jesus' rejection and his humiliation and then his death. 
which we know is a picture of his love and forgiveness in order to change sinners, including Pharisees. He was actually providing a way out for them and our sin. He doesn't want anyone to die without having an authentic relationship with God. Because a future without him, as Jesus describes, is actually sadness and anxiety, which is what weeping and gnashing of teeth means. Anxiousness, complete sadness, aloneness, darkness. So Jesus is not saying, you didn't score high enough enough on your examination, because we all make mistakes, we all sin, don't we? He's not saying you didn't get 100% on your examination, your moral examination. No, he's saying, like these Pharisees, they really don't know God. There is no relationship. But God gives us grace to grow and learn from our failures and our sins as we serve him. God is an extremely gracious God. He provides forgiveness when we mess up so that we are transformed and changed. So the master's response um, teaches us that when Jesus returns, um, we are accountable to God. There is that for sure. But at the end of time, we must face our maker and our owner. So the one bag of gold servant is a picture of a person who has not placed his trust in Jesus and has gone a different route. He is basically a non-steward. He does not see that all that's been given to him is the owner, God's, God you know, owns it all, but he entrusts it to us. And his view of God is rather warped. He takes from God what does not belong to him, and he keeps it for himself. He builds his life around him. It's about himself. And he fails to do anything with what God has given to him. What was lent to him then, at the end of time, will be given, taken away from him and given to someone else. Based on the selfish decision to be the boss of his life, he will live in darkness apart from the light of Christ. He simply gets what he has chosen, a life apart from God. Now, let me return to the one two-bag and the five-bag servants because they are, in this story, the good examples, right? The two good examples of those who steward what God has given to them. They have prepared themselves wisely for the return of the king. They are very conscious of the return of the king. They're motivated for the return of the king. And they do their best to honor the king through their life. And so they're ready for Jesus to come without warning, right? When you faithfully serve him, you don't worry one iota about when Jesus comes back. When he comes back, he comes back. When you're ready, you're serving him faithfully and there's nothing to worry about. Now, what was different about these servants? What made them ready for the master's return? Well, several things here. Good stewards are ready because they understand that serving God is an incredible privilege. It is. It's a wonderful privilege. Before we became his stewards, we lived outside his kingdom. 
we were spiritually lost without him, without a hope in the world. We lived our own life and kept God out. And because of our sin, we were heading in the wrong spiritual direction, towards spiritual death. But God made it possible through the death of Jesus to bring us back to himself. And when we place our trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior, we become his children, but we also become his stewards. So to put it in a positive light, because it is very positive, you actually get to serve the King of Kings. It's an honor. And as Christians, we ought to view our life as this servant-like adventure. I get to serve him. Is there rough and tough times? Absolutely. That's simply reality. But the one bag servant viewed his life as simply a heavy burden of obligations. So he just shut down. He just tolerated his work. He only cared about the status quo, hoping to just get by without too many of life's challenges or problems. He played it safe, but achieved nothing in his life. Um, Sadly, you could say he wasted his life. But the ready stewards understand that his very life was bought with a price. Jesus' death. His life is not his own. We belong to God, and we get to serve him. It's a privilege. Secondly, the good stewards, they accept their God-given uniqueness, and they embrace the responsibilities that God has given to them. So being ready is living faithfully to God according to the responsibilities that he has given us in this kingdom. And the responsibilities are are based upon our unique creation. We're all different. That is why there are people who have one bag, two bags, three bags, whatever, right? We are not all the same. So recognize, as I uh, hinted at earlier, um, this is not a value assessment, right? Just because... You're given only the one bag versus the guy a ten bag. It's not saying that ten bag person is more valuable than you, the one bag person. Okay? We are all different, and there shouldn't be resentment or jealousy, even though that is our human tendency, right? We tend to think that way and feel that way. So, what do these talents or these bags of gold represent? Well, everything that God has given to you and everything that you are. And so with God's help, we can be who God designed us to be. God has been shaping your life since the day you were born to serve him and love him. And so it's now recognizing, Lord, what is it that you've called me to do? And sometimes it takes a little bit to understand this. We have to understand that we can't be everything. I know that's kind of a slogan out there. Out there, you can, you know, you hear people say you can be anything you want to be. But um, if people are completely honest, that's just not a true statement, right? But you have to be. You can become who God has called you to be. And we can't be strong in everything. And sometimes things change in our life, right? Sometimes we have inabilities, and that you know we can't do. What we used to, you know, things change. But no, you can't be anything you want to be, but simply what God calls you to do. 
You can be uniquely you by, first of all, learning to abide in Christ. We've been talking about that you know, a whole lot here, abiding in Jesus Christ, where he shapes you from the inside out. And then you learn to serve him faithfully. That's a key word here. The big word that the master said of these stewards, the good stewards, well done, you good and faithful servant. You know, that word just stands out. You're faithful to the end, in the ups and downs. So, you know, let me highlight a few things, but some of you, um, God made you a little more empathetic than the other person, right? We're, we're not all the same. And we thank God for people who are a little more empathetic and they, they are people persons, right? They work with people more. Uh, some of you are more naturally um, inquisitive or analytical, right? You know, you're, you're good at the math and the sciences, you know, and, and um, God bless you because those are skills that not everyone has, but God gave them to you, and so you can use those. Some of you are organizers and you're arrangers, and you're often in the background. You don't, take, you don't get a lot of credit for being an organizer, right? You know, I mean, who, who gives certificates for you know, that type of thing? But you're valuable to the kingdom of God. Some of you are created to bring harmony to others. And you bring responsibility to the table. Uh, everyone loves responsible people, Right? And uh, we know, we, we love and we need people who, who are, uh, you know, they may not be the, the real people, people in the room, but they are the organizers and bring things together. And so God bless them for using those gifts faithfully. Some have a bent to restore things or restore people. Big difference, right? Some people are great with the people skills and listening skills. Others, boy, you give them a hunk of metal or a computer or what have you. God bless them for having skills like that to be used for the kingdom of God and uh, you know, have uh, a society that runs properly. Some are strategic and have strong skills that stand before people. You, you know, we need people who can stand before people boldly, right? And not all of us are like that, right? And you don't have to be. But God calls some people to stand before people. Uh, whether it's in ministry, whether it's in government, whether it's in education, we need all these people. The truth is, um, we all have a combination of different strengths. But the point is, whatever God has given to you, whether it is, you know, we have to be careful what words we use, whether it's big, medium, or little, that's not a value statement, just different, whether it's through your job, your vocation, whether it's through church ministry, whether it's even in the life of pleasure, do it all for the love of God. Do it all for the love of people in the name of Jesus. And God has shaped your life and given you unique strengths to contribute to his kingdom. So this is all more in greater detail about what it means to be ready for the return of Jesus. In other words, we're ready when Jesus comes back and he catches us simply being faithful when he, in what he's called us to do, right? That's where he wants, this is where I want God to catch me, so to speak, when he returns. That Dan is being faithful in the gifts that he's given me to exercise, right? 
And so in that sense, you're ready. You know, you love the Lord, you're serving Him. But of course, as we already talked about on the negative side, you don't want to be caught hating God, being irresponsible, not living your life to the fullest. You don't want to be caught that way, right? Because there's an accountability. But I really want to stay on the positive side. Make a difference in this world. Make sure you're fueled by the love of God and his grace. Make sure you understand. I mean, this is a growing thing, but grow in your calling. Grow in your sense of uh, calling and what God has given you to do to serve him. Make sure that your life is being used to make a difference in this world and in this church and the greater church in your family and so on. So, maybe take time um, to consult the Lord on this and say, Lord, maybe I am a little confused about what my calling is or what my vocation is. And I know sometimes it can be a little bit difficult and discouraging. Bring it before the Lord. Maybe talk to someone about it and seek his face. Why don't we pray? Lord, thank you for the calling to be part of your kingdom. And not only being part of your kingdom, but getting to serve you as your servants given different skills and different abilities. What a privilege privilege to to serve you and to make a difference in this world. And I know sometimes it is not easy. Sometimes it can be confusing and discouraging. But may those moments, uh, may we act on those moments by by seeking you out, abiding in you, uh, learning to Feed on your grace in those moments. And so guide us, Lord, as we learn to faithfully serve you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I you stand as we sing this song. A reminder that he is not a harsh master. He is gracious and compassionate.